Grab your Bibles with me, if you will. Open them to the book of Genesis. We're going to dive right into the Word of God today. We are concluding a series entitled Chasing um, and just challenging every one of us to dream big, see what God has for us, and chase after it no matter what it takes. The last couple of weeks, we have been going through tests that Joseph faced as he was realizing his dreams. The Bible teaches that God tested his character until it was time for his dreams to be fulfilled. We've gone through a number of those tests. Last week, we talked about the perseverance test, and this is a very important one, though not always a fun one. If you're in the middle of the perseverance test, I want to encourage you, hang in there. Hang in there. Five things we have to learn. Number one, even when you're in prison, you can be promoted. Even when you feel stuck, even when you feel like there's no way out, even when you feel like uh, circumstances and situations in your life have walled you in, the expectations of people around you, God can still do great things in your life. You be faithful to him right where you are while you're, while you're persevering and he can raise you up. Number two, we should glory in tribulations. We should rejoice in them, but as we learned last week, not only rejoice in them, but we should pray for them and desire them and wish for them. Why? Because tribulation is the only way in Scripture to produce perseverance. Why is perseverance important? Because perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. You may have all the ability in the world, all the gifting in the world, you may have incredible opportunities come your way. But as far as opportunities and gifting and ability can get you, it's character that will keep you there. Perseverance produces character and character hope. Character produces hope and hope does not disappoint. And you know, the, the truth is this, um, there are appointments in your life that if you can stay faithful while you're persevering, hope says, I'm not going to miss my appointment. I'm going to be there when it's time to be there. I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be. I'm going to be serving God. I'm going to be trusting in God when my turn comes. So five things we ought to know. So let's track with, with Joseph. Joseph was the favorite son. He was then sold into slavery at 17 by his brothers who told his father he was dead. He ends up in Potiphar's house in Egypt. While running Potiphar's house, he is accused of, rape, of attempted rape on Potiphar's wife. Potiphar then throws him into jail. From jail, we don't know exactly how long he was in there. We know it was more than two years. But at the age of 30, he has another opportunity. Potiphar, or, or Pharaoh has a crazy dream. Two crazy dreams, actually, back to back. And the first one was, there were seven cows that came up out of the Nile River. Seven fat, healthy cows. And that while they were standing there eating on the side of the river, seven more scrawny, unhealthy, uh, almost dead cows came up and ate the fat cows. That's a weird dream. <laughs> then he sees seven uh, stalks of grain with large fat uh, heads uh, head of uh, stalks and and then there were seven skinny unhealthy almost dead stalks and they reached over and devoured the healthy ones but in both scenarios both the cow and the the unhealthy cows and the unhealthy stalks the skinny scrawny stalks 
even though they devoured the healthy one, they never got fatter. They stayed skinny and scrawny. So Pharaoh asked all of his advisors, what, do we do? what does this mean? He brings in all of his wise men. He brings in sorcerers. He brings in everybody he can. They have no idea. And it's about that time, two years after Joseph had interpreted the dream of the cupbearer, the cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. But all of a sudden he remembers. He says, when I was in prison, there was a Hebrew slave named Joseph. And he interpreted my dream. And everything he said came to pass. And I am here today because he interpreted my dream. Pharaoh says, get the man out of prison. What are we doing? Get him up here. So Joseph comes in and he says, absolutely. God has given me the ability to, to interpret dreams. And I'll tell you what it says. Here's what he says. He says, Pharaoh, both dreams mean the same thing. And, and God gave you two dreams to make sure you know that this was not just a coincidence. This was not just some bad food you ate for dinner last night. But this was a real word from God. It is going to happen. Here's what it means. For seven years, you're going to have seven years of prosperity in the land of Egypt. And, and your grain is going to grow and your crops are going to multiply. There's going to be money. There's going to be food. There's going to be resources. It's going to be seven prosperous years but immediately following that seven years there will be seven lean years seven years of famine seven years of scarcity and so Joseph says here's the reason that God has given you this dream he's given you this dream so that in the seven years of prosperity you can prepare for the seven years of famine and you won't die off in the seven years of famine so he says, you need to find a wise man. You need to find an intelligent man. You need to find a man of leadership that can help you lead this country through the seven years of prosperity so that no one will die off during the seven years of famine. Are you with me? So Pharaoh gets with his advisors again, and he says, my God, can you believe this? This, this slave, this, this Hebrew slave, and the Egyptians and, and, the, and the Hebrews hated each other. And he said, this, this guy... He, who, I don't even know who he is, but clearly he has insight and wisdom, and he is clearly a man of God, and I don't even know how, but somehow God is working in his life. They said, who do we get to run this thing? And they all sat around the table. None of them wanted the job or felt like they were capable, and finally they all said, Pharaoh said, I'm just going to let Joseph run the kingdom. He brings Joseph back in. Now, remember, this is the slave this is a guy who had no rights, no resources, no anything, except that he had been faithful to God. His character had been proven to pass every test up to this point. He had persevered, and he had the presence of God with him. And he says, Joseph, I want you to run the entire kingdom. You are going to lead us through this time of prosperity and the time of famine, you have access to everything. He said, you ba basically, he said, you're going to be my number two guy in charge. He said, other than Pharaoh, me, myself, you will be over everything and everyone in the entire nation. Understand that Egypt at the time was one of the great powers of the world. A slave boy from another world who had been sold into slavery at 17 years old is now set up to lead one of the world powers through one of its most difficult times. Joseph says, I can handle that. He takes the job. 
He's 30 years old now. It's been 13 years since he was sold into slavery. And even though he is now running this great nation, and he's been given chariots and soldiers and helpers and houses and money, and he's living in, in a, a basically a palace himself, he still hasn't realized the fullness of the dream that God had given him. Remember his dream was that his brothers and his mother and father would one day bow down to him, meaning he wouldn't just rule, but he would rule over them. So Joseph begins taking care of things for seven years. He starts taking 20% of everything that was earned in the nation. 20%, one-fifth, and he stores it up. And pretty soon, every storehouse was full. Uh, there was plenty. And as God spoke it, seven years later, the famine hit. The people went through their resources. They ate everything they had. They ate all of their grain. They ate, uh, their, their, their cattle were dying off. And, and all of their resources were being depleted. And Joseph said, okay, let's open up the warehouses now and he began to feed the nation but here's what happened not only was there famine in the land of egypt but in huge parts of the world all around egypt there was famine also so now not only was joseph providing for the egyptians but other people were coming to joseph to buy grain and the kingdom of egypt was getting rich off the kingdoms of the world around it because God had said, get ready, and Joseph, the man of God, had prepared them, knew what was coming, and now they were capitalizing on the famine. They were moving forward when everyone else in the world was moving backwards, all because Joseph was doing what God told him to do. Well, also in the land of Canaan. Where was the land of Canaan? This is where Joseph was from. This is where Jacob lived, this is where his brothers lived, was the land of Canaan. It was the promised land. There's famine there. They've gone through everything they have. Jacob has money, but he has no grain. He has uh, lots of valuable things, but he can't grow food because of the famine. So he hears that there is grain in Egypt. Now remember, he thinks that Joseph is dead. He think, for 13 years, he has gone on thinking that his favorite son was dead. And he sends his sons, all but the youngest son, Benjamin, who was Joseph's uh, brother. He says, I'm going to send all of you out, and I want you to go and buy grain and bring it back that we might live. So they take off for Egypt. And when they arrive in Egypt, interestingly enough, the way this thing set up, everyone had to come to Joseph to buy grain. So suddenly, years later, remember now, it was 13 years from when he was sold into slavery to when he became ruler of, of Egypt. Then it was seven years of, of, of uh, prosperity. That's 20 years, right? And then it was some time after that. We don't exactly know. It was some number of years after that. So it is 20 plus years since Joseph has seen his brothers. And he walks out one day to see who's buying grain. And the same family that sold him into slavery, that left him in a pit to die, first of all, and then took him out only to be sold into slavery, he comes face to face with his brothers. Can you imagine the moment? He had his 
Egyptian attire on and makeup and clothing. They had changed his name to an Egyptian name. So his brothers didn't recognize him, but Joseph knew them immediately. Have you ever noted that when people hurt you, they can often forget you, but you never forget who hurt you? And it can be 20 plus years later and you know exactly who you, they are and you know exactly what they did and it all comes flooding back. That's the moment that Joseph has. And he has a decision to make. He can be harsh and mean and ugly to his brothers. He could have them all killed. All he had to do was say a word and they would all be killed or thrown into prison or taken into slavery. The, the Egyptians hated the Hebrews so badly that they wouldn't eat at the same table as them. But Joseph brings them in and says, come on in, let's have dinner. He doesn't tell them who he is. He brings them in and says, let's have dinner. And he begins to feed them. And he gives them grain. And he sends them back to his father with, with bags full of grain. And not only that, he wouldn't let them buy it. He put their money back in the top of their sacks and sent them back to the land of Canaan with the money they came with and with the grain. But with instructions, I want you to bring the younger brother here. So one brother remained in jail. He said, I'm going to keep him in jail until you bring the younger brother back here. Series of events takes place, and it ends up that Joseph says, go get your father and all of your family and bring them here, and we'll take care of them. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, who then have to go get his dad and say, come on back, your son is alive. The Joseph, the, the brothers had to go back and tell their dad, you, do you remember 20-something years ago when we told you that Joseph died? He didn't die. We sold him into slavery. Joseph, Jacob, and all of their family, all of their kids, all of their livestock, everything that they had, Joseph sent chariots and he, and he sent wagons and they brought it all back. And Pharaoh set up all of Jacob and his family in the land of Goshen into the best land that they might live and be taken care of under Joseph's care. So much so that the children of Israel didn't just survive, but they thrived in a foreign land. They went from a family with 12 sons and, and wives and kids to millions in just a couple of hundred years. Why? Because the blessings of God were on them. But here was the test that Joseph had to face before he could be ruler over his brothers and his father. He had to face a very important test. He had to pass the forgiveness test. Here was this moment. He's looking at his brothers who treated him worse than we can almost imagine. I can't even imagine my family selling me into slavery and yet Joseph's brothers did it to him and then went and told his father he died. And he had a moment. He could have spent the last 20-something years plotting vengeance, plotting the moment when he could get back to them, and yet he didn't. When face-to-face -face with them, he showed them kindness. He showed them mercy. Why? Because Joseph had passed the forgiveness test. In our lives, we too will have to pass the forgiveness test. There are things that are going to happen to you and probably already have. That you have seemingly every right to be upset and angry and hurt. It's totally justified. And yet, 
Will you forgive? We know that Joseph forgave. We know it from his words, and I'll read some of those to you in a moment. We know it from his actions because he showed his entire family kindness. We know it from the fact that the Bible says in Genesis 39 and 2 that the Lord was with him, that the Lord's presence was upon him. If we don't forgive, his presence will leave us. I'll prove it to you in a moment. Uh, We know it from the fact that Joseph prospered in everything he did because the Lord was with him and the Lord was pleased with him. The Lord is not pleased with us if we refuse to forgive. Now these are difficult words. These are harsh things, but here's the truth. If we If you harbor unforgiveness, the presence of God will leave your life. If you harbor unforgiveness, the presence of God will leave your life. The the blessings of God will not be upon you. Why? Because we are not encouraged to forgive, but we are commanded to forgive time and time and time again throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament in the words with Jesus. And if we are not obedient, the blessings of God follow His obedience and His presence. And so no obedience, no blessings. Without the presence and the blessings of God, you will not accomplish every dream that God has given you. You can try, and you may get a lot of stuff done, But without his presence and without his blessings, you will not accomplish everything. Remember, God's dreams for you require him and his involvement. If you can do them on your own, they're not God's dreams. You're not dreaming big enough. You'll have to face the forgiveness test and pass it. Hurtful relationships, wrong behavior, malicious acts. Let's read in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. And at this point... Jacob had died. All of the, uh, the brothers uh, and many of the leaders in Egypt traveled back to Canaan to bury Jacob in a tomb and had a funeral. We pick up in verse um, 15. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Here's what they said. Now... Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. And when Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But listen to his response, because Joseph had passed the test. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. This is one of the first instances in Scripture where we see the word forgive. They said, we beg you to forgive us. They pulled out all the stops in, in in this apology here. They said, we beg you to forgive us. The word forgive in the Hebrew means to absolve or release fully. Not partially, not like, well, you know, we're going to try not to be mad anymore, but we're going to hold it against you still. No, 
to release fully or to absolve them, to pardon them. It means to bear up or lift up, to lift the burden of guilt off of them. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? He he absolved us. He absolved you. He absolved me of our sin. He, He bore our sin on the cross and he lifted the burden of sin so that we don't have to carry it. That's what Jesus did for us. Forgiveness is lifting off of or removing entirely the guilt and the burden. It is absolving of guilt. Jesus completely absolved absolved you of guilt and set you free. Aren't you glad that he did? Jesus isn't walking around holding it against you. No, he set you free and pardoned you completely. Let me ask you this question. Are you forgiving the same way Jesus did? Are you forgiving just the same way that Jesus did? Are you releasing fully, absolving, or pardoning? Pardoning? You see, if you want to reach your dreams and all that God has for you, you must forgive the same way that God has forgiven you. The same way. Matthew 18, Jesus gives us this parable, and it's in response to a question from Peter. Peter says, Lord, how many times do we forgive? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. He begins to tell this story. There was a master who decided to call in the debts of his servants. So he called in one servant who owed him millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. And he said, "Uh, I want you to pay it back right now. And the guy said, I can't pay it back. And the master said, okay, then I want you to sell him. They told to his other servants, sell him and all of his family into slavery. The guy threw threw himself down at the feet of the master and said, please have mercy, give me time, I'll pay it back. And the master looked on him with kindness and said, stand up. Not only am I going to let you go, but I'm going to forgive all of your debts. It's a pretty powerful moment, right? That's what Jesus did. When we go before God, we we go in and, and God has already forgiven us of all of our debts. It's already been paid because of what Jesus did for us. But here's the problem. That same servant... That same one who had just been forgiven of millions of dollars of debt. He turned right around and as he was walking home, he saw a guy who owed him money. Thousands of dollars. He had just been forgiven millions. Now he finds a guy that owes him thousands. And he says, hey, I want my money and I want it right now. The guy says, I'm sorry, can you just give me more time? He says, no, I want it now. I can't, I can't pay you right now, but if you give me time, I'll pay it back. And he says, I want you thrown into the debtor's prison. He throws him into prison. Well, the original master finds out about this. And in verse 31, here's what he says. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant. Now I want you to note this word here. You evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Here's the principle that that Jesus has given us. Number one, when you've been forgiven of great things, You are commanded to forgive those who have hurt you. 
Number two, when we refuse to forgive, we end up tormented ourselves. We end up imprisoned and tormented. First of all, in our future, in salvation. And secondly, in our present. A lack of forgiveness, unforgiveness, will tear you up inside. It will lead to bitterness and anger and frustration and hatred and and all types of negative things. If unforgiveness is allowed to grow in your life, it will torment you. While the people around you are moving on, you will be internally tormented. Three keys to forgiveness. Can I give them to you really quickly today? Number one is simply release. How do we forgive? We have to release. Forgiveness hasn't happened unless you are willing to release the person from all charges. To completely absolve. What does that mean? It means they are no longer guilty. It means that you are not seeking justice or vindication. It means you release them from the punishment that they deserve. It, it, Joseph released his brothers fully. He had every right to punish them. He chose not to. Because Joseph had a decision to make. I can move on with God or I can be consumed with bitterness and rage for the rest of my life. Instead, I'll let it go. He chose the presence and the blessings of God. Even through the manipulation of his brother's apology. Notice they said it as if it was their father's last dying request. But we have no proof that it was his his last request. Nothing in scripture alludes to that. The truth is uh, they used it as a way to soften Joseph's heart. Because they didn't realize that Joseph had already passed the forgiveness test. And they didn't know it because years before they couldn't pass it. What if you get no apology? What if you get a half-hearted apology? What if you get no recognition that the other person did anything wrong? What if the other person thinks that you're in the wrong? We still have to forgive and absolve of guilt. Joseph said, am I God? Because when we refuse to forgive, we are putting ourselves in God's place. We are making ourselves judge and jury and, and a punisher And we're saying that I'm not going to forgive you until you do whatever I say to where I I believe you have paid enough price, you've been punished enough, and I'm satisfied. Then I'll forgive you. But that's not true forgiveness the way Jesus taught us to forgive. But the truth is that when we release, when we let go, when you release that person, you also release God to act in your life. When you release those who have hurt you, you release God to act. You let God be God and you forgive. Robert Morris said it like this. If you do not forgive, you will live your life searching for vindication, always trying to prove something rather than trying to please someone. Notice that someone is capitalized. He's referring to God here. If you don't forgive, you'll live your life searching for vindication trying to prove yourself to the people around you, still talking about what happened 20 years ago when everyone else is forgotten. Have you forgiven? Have you released? Are you still talking about it? Are you still thinking about it? Does every conversation you have come back to that? When you face other people, do you view them through the lens of what has happened to you, therefore you put up walls because you won't let it happen again? Or have you really forgiven?
Let me ask you this question. What if God started talking about all your mistakes? How long would we be here? Right? Okay, Lord, it's just any moment now you want to let that go. You know you're going to have to go there too. Lord, do you forget anything? No. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 to 21. Uh, Dear friends, never take revenge. You may have read it like this growing up. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. (laughs) Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the Scriptures say, I will take revenge and I will pay them back, says the Lord. So it's God's job to vindicate us to to take revenge. No. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. If you will just treat the people who have hurt you the way that Jesus had treated them, they would find shame in their life, and you would let God work on your behalf. But no, we want to take vengeance into our own hands. But the Bible says, vengeance is mine. Do not take revenge. Let God work on your half. Let God be God. Release them fully. Number two is receive. So first we have to release, and then secondly, we have to receive. What do I mean? Many people that have a hard time giving forgiveness, it's because they have never received forgiveness. There is a connection between our forgiveness of others and God's forgiveness of us. Let's go to the Lord's Prayer. How many of you have prayed the Lord's Prayer in your life? A bunch of times? Okay. Here's what he said. This is the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Here's what he says. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. I want you to note a couple of things. Forgive us is present tense, something we are asking God to do. Have forgiven is something that we have already done. Now let's look at the word as here. The word as, if you, if you look it up in the Greek, there's actually two Greek words that are used here for this little word. Because we use one word, but the Greek, there's a big meaning here. The first Greek word is the word kai. It declares that there is a connection. Saying that this one is connected to this one. This one is not released until this one is released. You won't be forgiven until you have forgiven. Tracking with me? The second word is the word host, H-O-S, and it means manner, manner. What does it mean? Here's what you're actually praying when you pray this prayer. Lord, exactly to the same degree and in the same way I have forgiven those who have hurt me, I'm asking you to forgive me. So if you absolve them fully, if you release them fully, then you're saying, God, will you release me fully from all that I've done? But if you've been holding it against them, looking for vindication, looking for vengeance, looking for revenge, never letting them off the hook, but always trying to figure out how to get them paid back for what they've done, then here's what you're saying to God. In that very same way, treat me like that. Always be looking to get me back, God. Always be looking to punish me. Let me make sure that I stay uh, stuck in my mistakes and don't let me move forward. Well, I bet we'll pray the Lord's Prayer a little bit differently next time, won't we? Here's what he says. Whatever you have done, that's what you're asking God to do. 
Y'all all right out there today? Forgiveness has already been released. Here's the thing, you just have to receive it. Jesus, he released all the forgiveness you would ever need in your life on the cross, but you have to learn to receive it. It's so important. He goes on right after he finishes this prayer. He closes the prayer. Thine is the kingdom and the glory of forever and ever. Amen. And then he goes right into this verse, verse 14. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you forgive them, he'll forgive you. Verse 15. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive forgive your sins. Here's the principle. Forgiveness has already been released, but you cannot receive it unless you are willing to give forgiveness yourself. Like the, like the servant who had been given forgiveness, but wouldn't get it and was eventually thrown back into prison, the same thing will happen into our lives. Here's the principle. You cannot get to heaven unless your sins have been forgiven because sin cannot make it through the gates of heaven. That's why we needed the perfect spotless lamb to go to the cross and die so we could take on his righteousness and he took on our sin. Jesus had to go to the very pits of hell to conquer death while we get to go to heaven. Are you tracking with me? And so we have access to this forgiveness that makes us righteous, that we could walk boldly before the throne of God and say, yes, I have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ and I'm ready to come in. And he says, open up the gates, come on. But we won't make it in if we have refused to forgive. We can go to church, we can be faithful and serve, we can pay our tithes, we can treat people right except for the ones that hurt us. And if we refuse to forgive, we're going to knock on the doors of heaven. He's going to say, no, no, no. You didn't forgive others, so I'm not forgiving you. These are strong words that we don't like to preach in in the context of our wonderful theology, and yet these are the words of Jesus. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. That's why I say to you, forgiveness is not like a, well, it would be very good of you if you would forgive those who have hurt you, and you would be better. No, 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 no. It is a command. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. But you don't understand, Pastor Randon, I don't. But you don't understand me either. But Jesus understood us all. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he took on all of our sin. He took on all of our mistakes. He took it all on for us. Have you received forgiveness? Have you received forgiveness? If you believe that you you have to earn forgiveness, you will require others to earn their forgiveness. If, if you believe that you have to pay for it or uh, that you have to fight for it or have to be punished in order to get it, you will require that of other people. But if you believe that you were given forgiveness, then you won't require other people to pay it back. You will give it freely. That's, God's not looking to pay us back for our sins. He's not looking to get you back. He's not looking to get even with you. And the reason God isn't is because he's already gotten even for all of us. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah 53 and 10. This is a prophetic statement about Jesus. Yet it pleased the Lord, meaning God the Father, to bruise him, meaning Jesus. Talking about the Messiah. It pleased him, meaning it settled the debt. Our debts have been settled. They've been settled because Jesus went to the cross. Do you expect to be punished or you can't receive forgiveness? Because if you expect it of yourself, you'll expect it of other people. But that's not the way God wants it. He said, I gave you forgiveness freely. Now you give it freely.
So number one, we've got to release. Number two, we've got to receive. And number three, we have to believe. We have to believe. It's sometimes difficult to believe that God will forgive us because we know what all we've done. And we think, man, if there's any way that God knew all this, if there's any way that anyone else knew it, how can we receive forgiveness? How can we be forgiven? The truth is that we have evil and we've done evil and we've done wrong and we've done sin. Here's what, here's what the Bible says in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 13. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures to you very quickly. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Here's what Habakkuk says. God, you're so good that you can't even look on wickedness. Uh, it, when Jesus was hanging on the cross and the Father looked down and saw all the wickedness of the world, both in the past, the present, and then finally into the future, he had to turn his head away. That's why Jesus said, my Father, why have you forsaken me? Because God had to turn his eyes. He couldn't even look on the evil. That's what Habakkuk is telling us. He can't even look at us. So when there is unforgiveness, when there is evil, when there is sin, he can't even look at us. But here's the good news. Psalm 103, verse 12. But he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. He has removed it all through the, through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has taken it all away. He couldn't look at me because of my sin, so he removed my sin, and now he can look on me. And when Jesus looks down on me, he is not looking mad at me or angry at me because of my mistakes, but he is looking and smiling at me and saying, isn't he great? Job 36 and 7, he never takes his eyes off the innocent, but he sets them on thrones with kings and he exalts them forever. Here's what he does. He's looking down on you. Say, well, I'm not innocent through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Yes, you are. And so now he's looking down on you. He said, I want to set you on thrones with kings. I want to exalt you forever. This is how God views you. He's not mad at you. He's trying to set you up. He goes on in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to hear their prayers, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. If we refuse to forgive, remember he said of the servant who wouldn't forgive, he was an evil servant, refusing to forgive, he's going to turn his face against you. But if I will give forgiveness freely and release it freely and, and, and not be looking for vengeance, but God will look down on me, the eyes of the Lord will be watching over me and his ears will be open to my prayers you want God to hear you when you pray make sure you've forgiven everyone you need to forgive <clears throat> remember uh, uh, if you feel like God is not hearing you or watching over you you have to ask this question have I forgiven or am I holding on to something we ought to ask the Holy Spirit Lord expose what's going on in my heart Expose what's happening because I don't feel like you're with me. I don't feel like you're looking down on me. When, when, when you have forgiven truly and freely, the presence of God will be with you just like it was with Joseph. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin though, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Here's what you have to believe. You have to believe this. Jesus went to the cross to forgive me. Now I'm forgiven of all of my sins. I am made right with God. I am made righteous with God. Now I'm free to forgive those around me. 
Believe that God has forgiven you. Believe that God loves you. Believe that God wants to look down upon you and bless you and show favor to you and kindness to you. He wants to be involved in your life. He wants to watch over you. Do you need to receive forgiveness today? Do you need to receive forgiveness today? You say, Pastor Randon, I've tried to make it through life on my own. And, you know, I love Jesus, but I, I've never allowed him to fully forgive me because I feel like I should be punished. I know that I've made mistakes, some that I've admitted to, some that the world knows I've done wrong, but others have been done in secret, and I've never paid a penance for them. I want you to know today that it doesn't matter the sin, doesn't matter how great or how small, it doesn't matter if the world knows it or if no one knows it. Jesus has already forgiven you. All you have to do is receive it. I want to pray for you today. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head with me for just a moment. If you're watching on the line, please do the same. You say, Pastor Renner, I need to receive forgiveness today. I need, to, I need to allow God to forgive me. Jesus already paid the price. It's already done. He's here today saying, please receive forgiveness. If that's you, you want to make a fresh, clean slate with Jesus to be made right with God today. Will you just lift up your hand? Let me know who I'm praying with. Yeah, there are hands going up all over the room right now. Wow, a lot of hands. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. Would you all, everyone in the room, everyone watching online, repeat this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. I receive your forgiveness. I know now that I am made right with God, that he is looking down upon me and he is smiling at me and he loves me. And Father, I love you in return. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. I want to pray one final prayer. And that is, I want to pray for you if there are places in your life, people in your life that you need to forgive, that God would help you do that today, to release fully, to absolve. That you might receive all that God has for you. That you might pass the test, the forgiveness test. You see, if he had never passed the forgiveness test, he would have never been able to face his brothers and to stand in a place of rulership to watch over them and care for them like he did. The children of Israel not only survived, but they flourished because Joseph passed the forgiveness test. Father, I'm asking you through your Holy Spirit to go deep into our hearts and expose any places where there might be unforgiveness, things that are hidden, things that we haven't been able to let go. Places where we are looking for an apology or we are looking for punishment or we are looking for vengeance. Lord, we release all that to you. We remove ourselves from your place. We are not God. But you have released forgiveness to us. So we receive your forgiveness and we release forgiveness to everyone in our life. May we move forward with a pure heart that you might look down on us with kindness and goodness and mercy. Father, do a healing work and may it begin today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.